Steve, did you see the note that there's hold music on the uh, phone line? Yeah, and I normally don't set up the, the phone line unless one of our moderators needs to use it, but I'll go ahead and set it up now. So Steve's setting up the phone line for those of you um, who want to uh, ask a question um, verbally, you know, over the phone um, later on in tonight's event, if we have time for that, um, you should go ahead and click on the small phone icon at the bottom of the left-hand column, um, and that way you can connect via phone. But um, you don't need to connect via phone unless you think you'll want to ask a question. Otherwise, you should be able to hear the audio just fine through your computer, and that should suffice, and you can use the chat space to ask questions. Yeah, let me suggest that it may be a little hard to, to use the phone for the questions because there won't be any way to call on anyone since they all come through the same line. So um, I, I would suggest if you have a question, definitely put it in the chat or raise your hand um, when we get to that, that point in time. I'm not sure we're going to be able to pull you specifically out of the, the general phone, phone line. Sorry about that. Okay, Steve, um, I think we're ready to get going. So welcome, everybody. It's terrific to have you here. Um, I'm Jenny Bradbury with PBS Teachers, and I am joined by Steve Hargadon of Classroom 2.0 as my co-moderator this evening. We have with us tonight a terrific group of educators um, who include experts from the Shakespeare, uh, for the Folger Shakespeare Library and um, a collection of teachers from across the country who have participated in teaching Shakespeare institutes run by the Folger. And they're going to share with you some really terrific, innovative tools and strategies for uh, remixing Shakespeare and um, invigorating your teaching of this um, wonderful writer uh, for 21st century students. So before we get into the bulk of the presentations, I'm going to ask Steve to just give you all a quick orientation um, of Illuminate so that you're all familiar with the environment and um, know how to use the various tools that we'll be meeting tonight. Thanks, Jenny. Welcome, everyone. Uh, really fun to have you here. If you haven't used Illuminate before, uh, we think you'll have a fun experience. There are a couple of features we want to make sure that you are aware of. Um, you've probably noticed that you have a participants window and a chat window. Um, sometimes it's hard to follow all of the chat that, that flows by. So if you go up to uh, View Layouts and select the wide layout, you'll often have a better experience with the chat. Now, speaking of the chat, we're really uh, glad to have the chat. It's a, it's a great way to communicate and especially to add information and links. We did notice that last month uh, the chat was just so heavy it flew by fast and was distracting. So we are going to ask for a little bit of chat etiquette tonight. Um, if you uh, are tempted to put something in the chat that's not really pertaining to the session or um, might just confuse the speaker, we'll ask you to withhold from that temptation. Um, and, and at least especially during when the speakers are presenting, if you could keep the chat to the actual topic, that would be 
very helpful. We're also going to try and call out the questions that you might have from the chat, so it's uh, easier for us if they're um, if we're not watching that screen zip by super fast. Uh, we do want to make sure that you're aware of the use of these emoticons, which are a lot of fun. They're at the bottom of your participant box. So if you click on the clapping hand, you'll see that's a way of indicating uh, applause. There's a smiley face. You can also indicate uh, confusion, or we know you will never need to do this, but you can you can use the disapproval or the thumbs down. Um, when we're at a point actually where we are asking for questions and you want to raise your hand, there is a box with a hand and a green up arrow, and you can use that. If you if you look over in your chat um, box, you'll notice that um, down below where you would actually type in your chat, you can select um, next to the send. There is a selection box that allows you to send to this room, which is everybody, just to the moderators. You need to alert us to something that we might not be aware of or you can send to a selected participant uh, who's in the session. Do be aware that those of us who are moderators, and those are all the people at the top of the participants box, can see every chat that you send, even if it's a private message to someone else. So we don't want you to, to, <laughs> to say anything that might embarrass you. Do know that even though it looks like you're sending a private chat, uh, it is public to those of us who are moderators. Okay, uh, this is a map of the world, and we're now going to give you permissions to use the tools to the left of this map. And if you want to click on that little wand with the red dot at the end, you can use it to indicate where you're located in the world. So go ahead and put yourself on the map. It's on Alaska, somewhere in Europe there. So Pam's asking, how do we do this? So you're looking at the map. To the left of the map is a little wand and with a red dot at the end, with a sparkly dot. And if you click on that and then click on the map, it will place you on the map. So it looks like a very North American-centric group tonight, although we appreciate those of you who are in Canada and, and looks like one in maybe London, we'll hope. Uh, so I'm going to, this is a map of the United States. So this is an, another way that you can indicate and we can see where you're from. So you go ahead and click on that. Very fun. Well, we're sure glad to have all of you here. Uh, please feel free to, um, uh, to to ask questions. I, I don't want to overdo that caution about the chat room, but we're, you know, while we're asking you to be careful not to overchat, uh, the chat room does exist for a purpose, so we hope you'll use it. Okay, Jenny, back to you. Great. Thanks, Steve. Um, a couple other things I wanted to point out quickly. We will have... Um, as you'll see here on this on the slide screen, there's um, an agenda for tonight's event. So we're doing a welcome right now. Then we have six terrific speakers. Um, and in between their presentations, we're going to show you a couple of quick clips from the great performances uh, version of King Lear that's airing later this month. Um, at the end, we'll have a Q&A section. So during that Q&A section, 
we're going to ask you to submit questions in the chat space. So during that time, it's especially important that people try to refrain from any side chat and just use that um, space to ask questions. We may also have time to have people submit their questions orally. And if you want to do that, you should let us know in the chat space and we'll give you a microphone. And then in order to activate your microphone, you'll need to click on the microphone icon that's at the bottom of the left column. We're also going to be doing a couple of polls over the course of tonight's event. So if you look up at the top navigation, you'll see um, all of the icons. And if you um, look at the seventh icon over, you'll see a green check. And the eighth one over, you'll see a red X. Um, to vote in a poll, you'll just need to click on one of those. And you'll see I just clicked on the green check. And that's why there's a green check showing up next to my name in the participant window. So um, to, to uncheck it, you just click it again. Um, some of the questions we're going to be asking are yes, no. So we'll be using the check and the X. Other ones will be um, multiple choice. And in that case, um, exactly, like someone has just changed it to ABC. So we'll be using those as well. Um, so we'll, we'll give you um, a prompt when that happens, but just so you know. The other quick um, note I wanted to make to everybody is that when we do show the video clips, they're going to pop up in a window and automatically start playing. You can adjust the volume on your own screen by um, using the little volume uh, slide scale that is um, in the YouTube interface. But I um, strongly encourage you not to do anything to pause or stop the um, the video because we're going to stop and kind of move on with the event after um, the video has stopped playing once. And so you'll miss the chance to see the whole video if you play around with the stopping and pausing buttons. All of the sites and all of the videos that we show you tonight, we're going to put the URLs into the chat window. And those will be part of the transcript. So if for some reason you have any kind of difficulty with volume or um, seeing an entire clip, rest assured that you'll have lots of information to take away with you about how to go and revisit these clips um, later on in the event. Or sorry, later on after the event. Okay, so um, our first speaker tonight is um, Bob Young, who's the Director of Education at the Folger Shakespeare Library. And he's going to give you a little bit of an overview of what Folger offers to educators. And then we'll show you a couple of very popular places on the Folger site where um, you can find some terrific teaching resources. So Bob, please take it away. Thanks, Jenny. Welcome to everybody. Great to see you all here tonight. Uh, I'm just gonna—I'm going to be very brief. I just wanted to let everyone know about the terrific uh, education resources that Folger Shakespeare Library provides free for teachers at our website. Jenny, if we could perhaps go to the uh, education lesson plan slide at this point, just so people could see. This is the most popular of the website pages that Folger Education has to offer. Visited by over—we get over a million hits to our web pages every year. And um, Jenny, I don't see that slide coming up. Great. Thank you. Um, anyway, when you get there, you'll see every month we feature two lesson plans. Uh, we've featured lesson plans on King Lear for February, March, and April. And we'll go back to featuring lesson plans from other plays as well. Uh, the lesson plans, after they're up for the month, go into our archive. And you can get to those uh, very easily. They're all performance-based uh, in, in origin. We just finished a. a editing through the lesson plans that have been up for a long time. And we are looking for lesson plans that feature performance-based teaching. And essentially, we, just, we define that as a 
an interactive approach. If we can go to that slide next, Jenny, if possible. Uh, Performance-based teaching and interactive um, uh, close reading of text through intellectual, physical, and, and vocal engagement. We think that it's very important for, for students to get up on their feet, speak the language uh, that Shakespeare wrote, and have a lot of fun with it. And our website gives you a definition of that coming up on the screen right there for you to take a look at. If you're in New Jersey, you'll note that we have a Shakespeareans, uh, part of a, a Dodge grant program that we have coming up in May, uh, grades uh, 5 through 12, uh, and also at uh, the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey at Drew University. So you can get more information about those by visiting our website. And uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we go on is a new feature that we have, and that's our play-by-play. Uh, and you can go to that, that page on our website and click on the title of one of the plays you're interested in, and you'll be able to access all of the information, all of the resources, podcasts that we've been doing on, on Macbeth, on, on One Henry IV, uh, just by clicking through on that one page. And if we could take a look at that page, Jenny, so that people could see it, that would be great. It's coming up on your screen. There you go. So you'll see, for example, if you clicked on the King Lear, you'd be taken to everything that we have for King Lear, and you can just click your way through and get everything right there at your fingertips. It's a terrific resource. It's all free, all available to teachers, and people are using it around the country, around the world. We're very excited about it. And if you've not visited it before, I strongly encourage you to check us out. And Jenny, I think that that's it for me. Okay, thanks, Bob. Um, okay, thanks, Bob. I, see some, I see some folks are saying that they're having trouble seeing um, the slides that are in the web tour. Um, hopefully, uh, most folks are, are able to see that. Um, as I said, we'll put the URLs into um, the, the chat window so that folks can get all of the, um, the, light, the links so that they can check it out later. And I apologize for um, any sort of technical problems. We've never, we haven't had this happen before, so I'm not exactly sure what's going on. But we'll hope that um, these, you know, that, that things go a little bit more smoothly. Um, someone said click refresh, and that worked for them. So you might try that as well. Um, so here's the first of our polls. Um, we're gonna. This first question is um, a multiple choice question. So again, you'll want to use the A, B, or C button at the top of your screen. And the question is, if if you use technology when you teach Shakespeare, do you use it mostly A in your classroom, B in your school's computer lab or media center, or C other? So if you could go ahead and vote now. That would be great. Okay, and I'm going to publish these results. So Bob, um, it looks like most folks are saying that they use it in the classroom. Um, some people saying in the computer center, some people saying other, and, and some saying none of the above. What's, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Jen, first, I think it's terrific that people are using technology when they're teaching Shakespeare. And again, it probably shows that many teachers have access to uh, computers, uh, technology in their classrooms, which is, is good. Uh, it would be interesting to know um, why people are not using the, 
the um, school's media center or computer lab, maybe that's more restrictive in their use. And uh, I see about 18 folks are using some other means of, of technology. So it'd be interesting, maybe when we get to the Q&A, we can talk, talk a little bit more about that. Great, good suggestion. Okay, so then the next question here, I'm just going to switch over to the yes-no version. And if folks can use the green check or the red X in the top and let us know, have you used podcasts and video clips available from the Folger website before? Okay, so here are the results of this poll, and it looks like the majority of folks are saying no. So, Bob, what are your what are your comments on that? Well, I'm not I'm a little disappointed, but not too surprised since it's a relatively new feature that we have on the on the website uh, using YouTube and uh, video podcasts uh, on our Folger website. It's something we started just about a year ago, a little over a year ago. So we have to do a better job of getting folks, uh, making folks aware. We've been using our magnet mail, which goes out to about 7,500 teachers every month. Uh, folks in the room tonight, if you're not getting our newsletter, you can sign up for it at our website and, and take a look at what we have to offer. It's terrific stuff. Great. I definitely second that. Um, thanks so much, Bob. Okay, so um, before we move on to our next speaker, I am going to show you all a clip um, from the great performances version of King Lear, which stars Ian McKellen and is going to be airing later this month. So please check your local PBS station schedule to find out when that airs. Um, it's a production by the Royal Shakespeare Company that um, is filmed from a stage production. So here's our first clip. And once again, you can um, adjust the volume on your own computer, but please uh, refrain from pressing pause or stop. So obviously that's a very short clip, um, but those of you familiar with the play will recognize it as uh, Act 1, Scene 1, in which Lear poses the question that will um, be the exciting force for so much of what follows uh, when he is deciding to divide his kingdom and, and um, sets up this dynamic between his daughters um, trying to each get their share. Um, We'll show you another clip later on in the evening from uh, later on in the play. But now, without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Mike LaMonaco, who's a senior consultant on national education for the Folger Shakespeare Library. And he's going to share with you some terrific um, Web 2.0 tools and some really fun and innovative ideas for teaching Shakespeare. So Mike, please um, take it away. Mike, we can't hear you, so you might need to turn on your mic. Turn on your mic. I thought like
I'm trying to hold. So, Mike, you just click it once and it stays down. Stays you don't have down. to hold it, down. hold it down. So, if Mike is so clicking, Mike on, is it clicking it's on it going and it's going off, off. Oh, Mike, it looks like it's oh, on. Mike, it Go looks ahead. like it's on. Go ahead. Okay, is that all right? Can you hear me now? Yes? Okay, good. I'm sorry. Uh, it, seemed, it, was, it kept clicking off. So uh, I've lost some time, but we'll, get, we'll catch it up. So Web 2.0 basically is when students create content and post it onto the web. Uh, so students become content creators instead of just watching YouTube videos and just sort of being passive. Uh, and what we're going to do is take a look at two simple activities that uh, students can do. The first one is using hypertext. Hypertext, all you need for hypertext is uh, Microsoft Word or any kind of a, uh, a word processor. Uh, and by highlighting uh, a word and right-clicking it, you can then link it to some other word, uh, some other image, some other video. So what we're going to do is take a look at the first one. So Jenny, if you can switch that. Great. So this is a passage from King Lear, uh, and and you'll see what we're going to do is we're going to take this uh, the um, mouse and we're just going to point it to a couple of words here. So if we were to point to, for instance, um, uh, the phrase "gilded butterflies," we click on that, and we have a picture of gilded butterflies. If we were to a picture, uh, we go down to this line. This is this is from the end of uh, of the play where Lear is talking to his daughter about what's going to happen when they go to prison, uh, and he says, "We'll talk of court news. We'll talk about uh, with them who loses, who wins." And you can click on who loses, and we see somebody that we might remember, uh, and guess who's on who wins? Uh, there he is. Uh, and uh, you can click on, oops, he's back. Uh, you can click on other phrases. So we have God's spies, we have God's, that is computer. Uh, you can also click on to video. Oops. So if you click on to video, uh, the word ebb and flow, we'll see. Take a look at this. Uh, and, and I also took some of the sound from the video. 
Now that we have divided in three our kingdom, that is our first. All right, we can probably stop it there. Great. Uh, people are asking questions about how do you grade this, and certainly that's always a, a tricky question. We can talk about that uh, at some other point afterward. But the idea is that uh, the students are creating stuff. What what uh, I also had to do with that, and somebody wrote on the comments that we used Audacity. So I took I used Audacity to remove a giant chunk of the dialogue because I didn't want to use the entire thing. I want to get the beginning and the end. Uh, and you sort of heard that scene before. So uh, those are really simple ideas that you can use, and we're going to talk about a lot more in, in, in a few minutes. So now I think we're moving over to Mary Ellen. Is that right? Yes. That's right. Great. Thank you so much, Mike. And um, so everybody knows Mike is our guest blogger this month on um, PBS Teachers Media Infusion blog. And he shares, um, shares a, a whole series of great tools, um, including information about the two ideas that he just uh, showed you tonight. So we'll, we'll give you that link later on in the evening. I definitely recommend that you visit that, um, the blog after this event to um, follow up on some of these ideas in more detail. And, and there, uh, Mike has created a little tutorial on how to create your own hypertext. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mary Ellen Dakin, who's a National Board Certified Teacher of English. She's from Revere, Massachusetts, um, from Revere High School. And she is going to show us uh, ReadingShakespeare.org and share with you some ideas about creating storyboards and audio tableaus with students. So Mary Ellen, welcome. Thank you, Jenny. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Um, I'm actually going to begin by talking about a project that my students are working on right now. It's actually a work in progress. Um, there we go. It's, it's, a, it's a project that I've, I've developed in the past few weeks that asks students to do three things. It asks them to, to demonstrate what they're learning about reading Shakespeare. It asks them to demonstrate what they're learning about reading Shakespeare on film. And it asks them to demonstrate what they're learning about reading Shakespeare onto film. Even in the 21st century, teaching Shakespeare always begins with the words. About a year ago, as part of a, a quest to incorporate more student-led reading and student-led discussion into my, the Shakespeare elective that I teach at Revere High School, I looked closely at the book club model that was developed in the 1990s by a Chicago teacher named Harvey Daniels. It's called Literature Circles. And a lot of teachers are probably very familiar with it. Essentially, students meet in small groups. Each student specializes in one active reading role. The four roles, uh, the four, the, the first four roles are basic roles. All good readers question the text. All good readers make connections between the text and their lives or their world. All good readers of literature um, really note the aesthetic qualities of language. And as far as illustrator goes, all good readers see the words. Uh, the roles beneath that are, are optional, but they're fun. I've worked for the past year again with a, a team of teachers at my school to modify Harvey Daniels' uh, lit circle roles to accommodate the complexity of reading Shakespeare. Film has three faces, a literary face, a dramatic face, and a cinematic face. 
During our reading of King Lear, I used clips from the PBS production to have students practice seeing and hearing the three faces of film by working in three viewing teams. Uh, for example, all the kids in the literary team would sit together, the kids in the dramatic team would sit together, the cinematic team would sit together. We'd all watch the same clip. In their teams, they would take notes on what they saw and heard, they'd talk to each other, and then I would jigsaw the groups so that the teams were mixed and the students could teach each other. In uh, this image from the opening scene of the film, the students in my literary team noticed almost immediately the, the symbolism of Lear's crown. He takes it from his head and he holds it in front of him like a zero. And he tells Burgundy that Cordelia's dowry will be nothing I have sworn. And my students know, thanks to Mike's book, uh, Shakespeare's book of lists, that nothing is a word that's repeated 34 times in this play. So it's a very important idea. When we got to the end of Act Two, I had students design before and after costumes for the characters in the first two acts of the play that undergo a radical change. Obviously, King Lear, but also Kent and Edgar. And some of my students wanted to look at before and after costumes for Goneril and Reagan, so I let them do that. The students in my class who worked on Lear's costume extracted from the language that as, as Lear becomes more powerful, he becomes more humble. But when they were doing their after costume that shows their change, they wanted him to keep his crown and his royal robes. They, they wanted these things to become dirty and torn, and they added a cane to his costume to show how he deteriorates. When they viewed this clip, the students in the dramatic team loved the way the costume and the makeup here interpret Lear's deterioration. One student said he looks older and younger all at once, so you get that sense of a second childhood. Um, they love that instead of a crown, he's wearing a wreath of flowers. And instead of you know tottering on a cane, which is what they imagined, he's holding the full staff. One student actually said, the fool's puppet looks like the king now, and the king looks like the puppet. And as soon as she said that, the whole room realized that we were talking about irony. But we were talking about irony conveyed through the, the costume. So that was very exciting. The cinematic elements of film. This is the face of film that my students are least familiar with. It's also the face of film, and I hate to admit this, that I am least familiar with this. We're currently using John Golden's glossary of film terms, which comes from his book, Reading in the Dark, to learn about things like long shots, medium shots, close-ups, low angle, high angle, eye level, Dutch angle. There are about 30 terms on the list. We're learning not only to identify them as we see them, but to wonder about their purpose and their effect. The lighting in the film clips that we have seen in this production of Lear um, is, is generally low-key, very dark and shadowy. Um, and that seems to add to the tension and the sense of suspicion in the play. In most of the scenes, my students noticed that the actors' faces are almost always lit from the side, which makes them look like they have split personalities. You know, half of their face is in light and the other half in shadow. So they really notice a shot like this one. And I think this beautiful shot is also part of um, Mike's photo story. They noticed that it's rare in this production when an actor's face is lit with front light and lit from above. Uh, but still, you can see shadows, uh, you know, the aftermath of shadows on, on Lear's face. So this is something we're all learning about.
in order to bring what students know about reading King Lear with what they know about reading King Lear on film, it felt like it was time for them to read King Lear onto film. Now, I've had students perform Shakespeare. I've had them film their performances, photograph their performances. So many times in the past, I can't count. But I have never really worked with my students on the cinematic tools of storytelling. And that's what we're doing now. Once the storm breaks in, in Act 3 of this play, there are many speeches. My students located seven in the first four scenes of Act 3 alone that seem to rage against the limitations of the page and the limitations of the stage and that beg to be filmed with the words as voiceover narration for the events that are being described. The details of this slide probably won't show up much. And, and probably many of you who are viewing, and I just lost, there it is. Um, nope, wrong one. There we go. OK. What you're looking at are two different storyboards of the same speech. Very quickly, for those of you who don't know, and you probably all do know, storyboards are pre-production sketches of scenes that help the director, camera operators, set designers to visualize key scenes. Um, they save time and money. Uh, borrowing again from John Golden's book, my students chose a speech and then worked on the first storyboard, uh, the model of which is in Golden's book. It's the one on the left. That first storyboard on the left focuses students on the literary and dramatic reading of their speech, although you can't read it here. They sketch shots, and then they respond to two questions for each shot. The first question, what did you want to demonstrate in this shot? And then the second question, what lines in the speech helped you to see this? We did that work, the work on the left, on February 24th. I didn't distribute the second storyboard activity until March 5th. In between those two days, we worked on something I've already spoken about, viewing teams, uh, viewing clips in teams that are literary teams, dramatic teams, cinematic teams, and using the film clips from the Royal Shakespeare's King Lear. Then on March 5th, I distributed the second storybook activity, the one on the right, the storyboard activity, excuse me. This definitely requires them to think like film directors. They need to make decisions about, and again, you, I'm sorry that you can't read it, but they need to make decisions about, in that first shot, what is the camera shot? What is the camera angle? Is there any camera movement? Um, what editing and sound and lighting do you want to use for that shot? I'm showing the work of a student named Shauna, Shauna Leclerc. In her first shot on the right, she technically has three things going on. I mean, technically, that's three shots. But she wanted to take those lines from the fool's prophecy, when fools are more in word than matter, when brewers mar their malt with water, when nobles are their tailor's tutors. What she decided that she wanted to do was to pile those images of what she describes them as chaos and despair using a, a film technique called cross-cutting. Each image uses a, a different camera angle and different lighting, but the parallel editing connects and intensifies the impact of those three things that are happening in that frame of her film. So I mean, I, I was really pleased. She wasn't the only one, but I was quite pleased to see a growing sophistication as they take to literature the, the lens of a camera. 
finally, this is where we are right now, and this is what I meant by a work in progress. What my students are doing now is they're working on something I'm calling an audio tableau, which is probably a hybrid of different things that I've had them do in the past. They already formed teams. Um, once they got into their teams, they chose what they thought was the strongest storyboard, or they they you know combined some of the best ideas into one new storyboard, uh, the more sophisticated storyboard. Um, they rehearsed their tableaus on Monday. They performed and photographed each of their their frames for the tableau. Today, I handed out the cue sheet. They were uploading their photographs onto the Macs. And they were they were planning coming up with ideas for voiceover and soundtrack. We were using GarageBand. One of my students can play the piano, and I actually think he's he's going to try to create his own music for their um, for their audio tableau, which I was very excited about. On Friday or by Friday, we will be recording the voiceovers, and we'll be adding sound effect and music and music. And by next week, hopefully, these projects will be put together and they'll be published at our school website. And that is my story of the work in progress that I'm calling the audio tableau. So I'm going to hand it back to Jenny now. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks so much. That was really terrific. And um, I see lots of folks in the chat saying, you know, these are great ideas, very exciting. So um, that was a great overview of what you're doing with your kids. Um, they seem, sound very lucky to have you as a teacher. Um, so now we're going to do another quick poll, and I'm going to just change us to the ABC version here. Um, so the question is, how do you use video when you teach Shakespeare? Um, A, before teaching the play, B, while teaching the play, C, after teaching the play. Um, and I guess if the answer is all of the above, then you could um, refrain from answering. <laughs> um, so uh, please go ahead and choose the answer that is um, most appropriate for you using the buttons at the top of your screen, A, B, or C. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and publish our results here. So Mike, it looks like most folks are using most it during teaching the play. That's what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? We like that a lot. Uh, the idea that people are actually uh, integrating what they're teaching as opposed to uh, uh, separating it and doing it after the fact as a sort of a reward for, for plotting through the play uh, tells us a lot, and that's really good news. Great. Great. Okay, Great. And the second question is, do you use YouTube clips of different productions when teaching Shakespeare. So please use the green check if you do and the red X if you don't. Um, and this question is actually specifically about YouTube. So um, I saw some folks earlier in the chat saying that their schools block YouTube. But um, go ahead and answer the question to the best that you can. Obviously, if your school blocks it, then your answer would be no. Unless you're tricky, like some of the people in the chat suggested, and you um, tape stuff at home and bring it in and, and use it that way. Okay, so here are results. Your here thoughts, results. Mike? Your thoughts, Mike? Uh, well, again, I think a lot of people, what is it, 64% uh, 
uh, the 36% uh, say no. Uh, and I think one of the things that people need to realize or figure out is that there's such an incredible wealth of information on there. You just saw some examples of it tonight. You're going to see some more in a little bit. Uh, and and as, as we've pointed out, there is some really simple ways uh, using real audio, real player, uh, automatically lets you save it to a flash drive and bring it into class. Uh, so there, and there are other ways around it. And, and, uh, it really makes a big difference. And again, if, since so many people are using it during the teaching of a play, there's so many different variations you can show the same scene in three or four different ways. So uh, I think uh, I think that'll change. Great. Well, I hope Great. so. Well, I hope so. Um, so uh, our next speaker is Amy Eulen. She's an English teacher from Tumwater, Washington. She teaches at Tumwater High School, and she's the creator of ShakespeareHigh.com, which I'm going to pull up now. She's going to be telling us about the language of the fool and show us an example of using Wordle. So Amy, welcome. Thank you. I will just get started right away as we wait for Shakespeare High to come up. Uh, let you know that during my senior Shakespeare elective this year, I noticed that my students were confused by the fool's language. And they felt that it was nonsense. And so they simply glossed over his lines. And I knew that I needed a way to help them unlock the fool's language. So I developed the lesson that you're about to see. Okay, and just for those of you who haven't been to Shakespeare High, just note that we have a great cafeteria that you can bring your students to and they can ask questions and get some feedback. And the students area is also very good for them as well. All right. Okay, so as my Shakespeare class is over, I enlisted the aid of my freshman English class to test out this lesson. And this is a really small overflow class of 12 amazing students and one fabulous TA. Aren't they cute? Um, since our next unit is Romeo and Juliet, I decided that this King Lear experiment would be a great introduction to Shakespeare's language for them since this is their first encounter with Shakespeare. So on day one, we did an on your feet introduction to Shakespeare's language using lines from a variety of plays. And they ended the day creating six person scenes using only the lines from their cards. And during our debrief that day, they told me that the language wasn't as difficult as they thought it would be, and that it will make even more sense with practice. So from day one, they had great insights, were enthusiastic, and had a playful attitude toward unlocking Shakespeare's language. For day two, I went to open source Shakespeare. So if we can see that. Sorry, it's going to take me a sec to. OK. Well, I will go back a slide then so everybody can look at my cute kids.
Here we go. Okay, fantastic. So this is opensourceshakespeare.org, and you can see the link to the left. And what you'll notice, oh, do you have control of this, Jenny, or do I? I guess I do, and I clicked on the wrong link, sorry. Okay, so with Open Source Shakespeare, I made a copy of the Fool's Lines. And to do this, I just scrolled down. Oh my. Okay, this is not giving me a lot of control here. Okay, so if you see on the left-hand side here, that you can scroll down to individual plays. So I'm clicking on King Lear. And I then was able to scroll down to the Fool's lines and clicked on Fool. And so then it accesses all 58 of the full speeches. And then notice that one is able to print the lines only or with the cue lines, which is very helpful if you're having students act out scenes in class to give them their lines with the cues. I went to show the full lines and then printed the Act 1 lines, which we were looking at for this activity. OK, thanks, Jenny. I'm done with that. So after reading Act 1 of the Fool's Lines, I had the kids highlight unfamiliar words. And we created a game taking turns looking up the words using the Shakespeare Glossary, the OED, and computers. So as you might imagine, the kids on the computers tended to find their words first, um, but not all of the words could be found on the computers. And after this activity, our debrief, the kids had the following insightful words to say. The young man pictured at the top had great insight into the character when he said that he's not as big a fool as people think he is. And this led to the question of why the character is called a fool if he is really wise. And that's the essential question that we're carrying throughout the remainder of the unit. OK, so the window just got really big. And I don't have controls now to send it along to the next slide. Sorry, I was having uh, problems getting it. Is it back? OK, good. It is, yes. Thank you. OK, 
So here we go. So on day three, we started rehearsing scenes from Act 1, Scene 4, and Act 1, Scene 5 using the new Folger Shakespeare Library edition of King Lear. And these editions are excellent texts for students because they have textual notes on the facing pages that the kids find really helpful. And as you can see in these photos, I'm fortunate to have access to our Performing Arts Center for class activities and rehearsals. And so during our debrief this day, I asked how the fool should act. And again, the students responded that he should be goofy and funny, but also wise. And so the next day, we determined what the fool would look like. And the kids drew their costume designs and presented it to the rest of the class. And they had to determine the gender and age of the character and cast the role with a famous actor. So we had both male and female fools that ranged in age from 10 to 50. And most said that the fool should be anywhere between 25 and 35 because it's young enough to be silly, yet old enough to be wise. We then watched Act 1 of the PBS Great Performances, King Lear. And the kids were struck by the age of the fool and how much older he is than what most of them had thought. So our next step is, is, was our rehearsal process. And we constantly came back to the question, how is our performance informed by viewing the professional actors? And we also come back to the question, what does this teach us about the fool? And finally, this leads me to our final writing assignment. And we use Wordle to analyze the fool's lines. And Wordle creates word bubbles that give prominence to the more frequently used words. And again, we copy and paste the text from open source Shakespeare into Word. The kids then use find and replace to take out um, words like thou, thy, thee, and thine, since those are used most frequently. And then they copy the text into Wordle and create their word bubbles. And these bubbles are used to help analyze the language. What does this tell us about the fool's lines in relationship to the lines they're performing from their scenes from Act 1? And so our final discussion for the act asked the kids why the fool is allowed to get away with calling the king a fool, but both Kent and Cordelia get banished for their honesty. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Those are really terrific ideas. And again, I see a lot of enthusiasm reflected in the chat space. So um, that's terrific. Hopefully, folks will check out all of these ideas in further depth after, um, after the event is over. So I'm going to pull up now another clip from the uh, Great Performances production of King Lear. This one is from Act 3, Scene 2, when Lear is on the heath outside of Gloucester's castle. He's just been rebuffed by his uh, two elder daughters and is in quite a fury. And uh, the reason that I wanted to show this clip is that I think it does a nice job of showing that even though this is a filmed stage production, you get um, quite a dramatic sense of the action. So um, here it is.
Okay, so um, there you have it. Uh, next up, we have Josh Cabot, an English and film teacher from Roslyn High School in New York. And Josh is going to show us a couple YouTube clips that his students created, um, one a trailer for King Lear and the other a yak track. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, Josh will explain it. No worries. So welcome, Josh. Everybody, uh, Josh Cabot from New York, and um, as uh, Jenny said, I am an English teacher who sort of laughs into film, and I'm always uh, looking for interesting ways to combine the two. And I think you know what we've been looking at over the last five years is really just a fundamental paradigm shift in the way film is used in the uh, in the classroom. As uh, Michael Monaco was hinting before, it used to be a very passive experience. You know, you sit through the play, and you're rewarded by watching the film at the end while the teacher marks their papers for a couple of days. And lately, you know, as uh, apropos of what Marianne was doing, uh, it's become more comparative video and getting the kids into the scenes. Uh, but now, uh, to use the words of Karl Marx, now that the means of production are so much in the hands of the workers, I think it's time to really uh, examine the ways in which we can make video in the classroom with Shakespeare a very active experience because uh, making videos is now amazingly inexpensive and almost completely idiot-proof. And so, as Jenny pointed out, I want to show you a couple of activities uh, that uh, force the students to do what we really want them to do, which is to comb through the text and analyze. And the first is uh, based on a format that they know intimately well, uh, which is the movie trailer or preview, uh, because we all have to sit through five or six of them before we get to see the movie we're waiting for in the theaters. And so I begin this activity by um, showing them uh, some examples, you know, which you can get from Turner Classic Movies. There are tons of examples. And I, I prefer showing the old ones, you know, from the 40s and 50s because they're very florid and overblown, you know, drama, action, suspense, romance. And we talk about the elements that are involved in a movie trailer, and it essentially boils down to clips of scenes, um, credits, um, and uh, titles, and um, and those various elements. And so um, just to, uh, I know you're thinking, well, what if I don't have the technology for this? So for that reason, I wanted to show you uh, one I did with my students when I was teaching in the New York City schools a few years ago. Uh, that is as low tech as you could possibly imagine. Handheld credit cards and the all-time greatest tagline to sell King Lear. So Jenny, if you roll the trailer, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, you have to admit that's the all-time greatest tagline. Bring the kids, all of them. That was totally theirs. And you see that you know you can surely do this on fancy editing programs uh, or something as simple as iMovie or uh, Movie Maker. But um, uh, you, we just did that. We taped it and we edited it by going from tape to tape. So it's a very easy thing to do. All right, now getting a little technically more complex. Um, I'm sure you've all had the experience uh, when you buy a DVD. Uh, of uh, you see the audio menu, and you have the option of uh, of an audio track. You can hear the film sound as it's recorded, or often you can hear uh, a film an audio commentary, uh, wherein uh, usually a participant in the making of the film, possibly the director or an actor or perhaps even a critic. Uh, if it's criterion, uh, will expound on the film. And you can listen to that as you watch the film go by. Well, again, the technology has become so simple to do that that um, another activity that I do, another name, for the, the, another name for the audio commentary is a yak track. 
And so uh, what I do is using uh, a simple ripping program like Handbrake. And you know, for those of you who don't know the technology, ripping just means to copy a scene from a disk onto uh, onto a file, and then you can manipulate it. So we rip a scene, and then we load it up onto uh, something as simple as iMovie, uh, and then eliminate the audio track, and then. Uh, the students will sit down and share their observations and record them as the scene goes by. Now you can do that uh, in a number of different ways. You can do it in GarageBand. You can actually do it in iMovie I just found out. But uh, again, it makes the students uh, consider the choices that the director is making, which is the essence of watching uh, using video at all in the class. And this is a much more sort of active way of doing it. So Jenny, if you could run the, uh, the Yak track, it's myself and a student of mine, and you could do it with a student or have students do it by themselves. It's, it's a really fun activity, so check it out. There you go, and uh, it is it is phenomenally easy to do, and there's there's so much more you can do. I mean, another thing, some of my more creative film students who are really good with this stuff. They will uh, rip a scene using a program like Handbrake, Handbrake, and then actually re-edit it. In other words, load it up and cut it back and forth, make changes in the scene, and that's a little advanced. But um, however you use it, I think it's time to acknowledge that um, the, the role of passive video in the Shakespeare classroom is going to diminish. And as these things get easier and easier to use and more common to use, and the technology, as you saw, was not that far advanced, so don't be scared by it, um, that this is a whole new paradigm in using video in the classroom. So thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Um, I see that there are a lot of questions about the technical stuff, and we're running a little bit behind schedule. So I think um, we're going to go ahead and have Chris go, and then I'm going to give you all um, a little bit of an overview of what's, what else is on, on deck from PBS teachers. And then we'll turn it over to the Q&A, and I'm hoping that all of our guests will stick around to answer some questions about people's um, you know, technical questions and other questions um, and comments about uh, Lear and Shakespeare in general. So next up, last but certainly not least, we have Chris Schamberg, who is Associate Professor in the Graduate Program in Educational Technology at New Jersey City University. And Chris is going to share with us some great ideas about remixing audio and creating Foley audio. So welcome, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, let me go on to the first slide. Uh, what this project is about is about creating an audio play from the, uh, from the scene from a play. Uh, we've done it with Macbeth and with Julius Caesar, and I have some links at the end of the presentation. Uh, what it does is it gets the kids to really read closely and apply a lot of the performance-based techniques, uh, as well as consider sort of the unique aspects of, of audio. Uh, what they do is they're going to enact a dialogue in, in a credible way, um, add sound effects, which can be pretty fun because we use some techniques of Foley, and add music. Uh, we chose a scene uh, for this demonstration, uh, The Blinding of Gloucester from Act 3, Scene 7. Uh, the first thing the kids did was um, edit the scene. They cut lines here, they cut part of Gloucester's long speech, and then they put actions, movements, and sounds. And again, um, I gave them a demonstration of what an audio play was, so they sort of knew what to capitalize on, what to what they had to do, like walking, doors opening, um, eye gouging. Here's the first part of the scene. Um, here's where they first bring Gloucester in. Uh, you can see some of the sound effects on the side where they have um, 
uh, noise, uh, some chairs or ropes moving around. Uh, we'll hear in a second, but one other thing, we used Audacity for all this, and I saw a lot of comments on the side about people who use Audacity. Um, if you could use a, a tape recorder and a word processing program, uh, you could have Audacity pretty much learned in 20 minutes, and kids pick it up pretty quickly. Again, on the um, before I show the clip with this, I have three little audio clips. Um, there's a full tutorial at the Folger website that show you how to use Audacity and do a scene from uh, Macbeth. So, uh, Jenny, I'll turn my mic off if you could cue the, um, the first clip. Okay, so uh, here's how we did the um, did the sound. Uh, we rehearsed the, the dialogue a few times, and then the slamming door was a filing cabinet with some added effect, and then the binding of Gloucester was a uh, a chain right there. Uh, one reason why I got this idea was from um, you see a movie about a radio show, and then the kid goes to see the superhero, and it's um, you know um, unassuming man and uh, the world is just a bunch of uh, household items there. So it's really good to have to, you know, stimulate kids' imaginations and also think about different mediums and uh, what they capitalize on and what their limitations are. Let me go to two more scenes right now. Uh, the next one is, um, you can read this here, this is when uh, Reagan plucks uh, Gloucester's beard. So um, Jennifer, if you could uh, just cue that scene, I'll turn my mic off. Yeah, I just heard someone comment radio data. That was the that was the movie I was thinking of. Uh, and let me just go to one. This is the final scene, the final part of the scene, rather. And here we bring all of it in. Of course, uh, it was fun trying to experiment with a good sound effect for eye gouging. Uh, one of the lines is out vile jelly, and jello, squeezing jello in different ways worked. If you look at the um, top right, there's a little sword fight there that you're going to hear in a second, and that's the sound effect. The kids were uh, banging some forks and uh, spoons together. And then Reagan um, gives a cheap shot and kills the servant uh, from back, and we needed a sound effect for that, so kids experimented with different fruit and utensils, and stabbing an apple with a fork seemed to be the best. And again, the old, uh, go thrust him out of gates of Dover and let him smell, go thrust him out of gates and let him smell with a Dover was a, uh, the filing cabinet again. Oh, both of his eyes are, are gouged, so you'll, he you'll hear that uh, jelly squeezing twice. Um, okay, I'll turn my mic off if you can cue that up, Jennifer. Okay, and here are just some um, some links that can help you out. If you go to the website, I put um, two examples of student work where they do this uh, Foley work uh, with scenes from Shakespeare. Uh, they're both here at the bottom. Uh, the sound effects um, came from the Free Sound Project, uh, and you can get there's some links there. And the music I got from Creative Commons is CC Mixer, and they have sort of a sliding scale scale of copyright. So uh, it was from it was Static by Coolamoo. Uh, and the part of the license was to give attribution, and then I could use it uh, pretty much however I want. Uh, I'll just uh, pass it on and turn my mic off. 
Great. Thank you so much, Chris. Those are some terrific ideas and, again, lots of enthusiasm on the part of our participants. Um, I noticed someone asked a question about having access to the slides. Um, since uh, this is a good example of a slide you might want to revisit, you'll notice on the top bar um, above the participants window there is a save icon. If you click on that, it will give you the option of saving the um, slideshow and or the chat to your desktop and you can choose the file type you want. So um, that's another option if you want to um, access this stuff after the actual event. You can save um, the slide deck and the, and the chat right to your own desktop. So um, here we are for our last poll of the evening. Um, the first question is, when teaching Shakespeare, do your students create and post web content? So please give us a green check for yes and a red X for no. Okay, so Mike, okay, what, are so Mike what are your thoughts on these results? Uh, I think this is going to change a lot after tonight. Uh, I think a lot of people are probably, from what we've been reading in the chat, kind of excited about some of these ideas. Uh, and I think, I think we'll see more and more of this as we go on. Uh, I think teachers are starting to realize that while there are some uh, things that block uh, access to the web and some, and some hindrances in the classroom, ultimately it's worth it because it really does get to the, to the text in some interesting ways. Great. And Great. our last question, our last at, the question conclusion, at the conclusion of a Shakespeare unit, do your students perform scenes from the play? Again, give us a red uh, X for no and a green check for yes, please. Okay, so here we seem to have a lot more yeses. Uh, my, uh, Bob, your thoughts? I think it's terrific because you know I, I told you we really do uh, uh, promote performance-based teaching, and to see a lot of um, uh, folks who are doing that in their classrooms is wonderful. And, and uh, I'm not sure about the none. If you're not trying it, it's great to give it a go, and you, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised by the outcome. Great, thanks. Okay, so now I'm going to actually um, take folks, uh, just show you um, a few other things just to recap. And first I want to take you and show you um, the Great Performances site. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this site offers um, a whole bunch of links from the Folger Shakespeare Library, some really great lessons that you can use with your students. Um, and it also will offer um, great video and, and other re general resources from uh, great performances. So I highly recommend visiting that after this event. Um, I am going to see if I can pull this up. It seems to be behaving a little oddly. Um, I guess I'll have to do it this way, so let's see. Okay, so this is a great performances site. Um, if you scroll down using the scroll bar on your own computer, 
you will see that there's information here about tonight's webinar. There's also general information about the Folger Shakespeare Library. And then there are um, a whole collection of resources from the, from the Folger's collection um, specifically designed to help you teach Lear. So I hope you will visit the site after the event. I just put the URL in the chat window um, and check out some of these great resources from the Folger. Um, on the screen now, you should see um, the URL for the Folger site, which uh, Bob gave us a brief tour of earlier. Um, it's www.folger.edu, and there's a lot of great content there for teachers. Um, there's a teaching resources link that will help you find a lot of that, so we recommend visiting that site. As I mentioned earlier, Mike LaMonico is our blogger this month on media infusion. I, I would strongly encourage you to read the blog and post comments. It's a great way for you to continue to have conversation with Mike after tonight's event. And he goes over a lot of the ideas presented here and some additional ones. So please visit the blog and, and um, contribute to the conversation there. We have three more exciting webinars coming up in the series. Next month, we're going to have some math experts um, sharing some new resources from CyberChase related to Earth Day. So if you are or um, know elementary math educators, I, we highly recommend that they visit and learn about some very cool digital tools for teaching elementary math. In May, we're going to have Jean-Michel Cousteau, who is barely back on dry land, uh, sharing with us some great um, digital content for teaching marine science. And in June, we're going to have Bob Sprankle, Cheryl Oaks, and Alice Barr, three technology integration specialists from Maine, um, sharing some ideas with you about how you can use the summer to set up a personal learning network and, and what you'll learn by um, online collaboration. So we hope you'll join us for those events. All of this um, info is posted on our website as well. Um, our main URL is pbsteachers.org. In addition to offering uh, webinars and um, a we also have thousands of free standards-based lesson plans, activities, video clips, um, all organized by grade and subject for teachers in pre-K through grade 12. So please visit us and take advantage of these terrific free resources. We have a new series of activity packs, which are widgets that you can um, grab and embed on your own website if you like them. And featured on this slide is our Shakespeare in the Renaissance activity pack, which has PBS resources and um, activity ideas for students in grades 3 through 12. So I highly recommend that you check out the activity packs. And please grab them and share them as you see fit. We also have a community on our site uh, called PBS Teachers Connect. We've already set up a discussion there for folks who want to continue the conversation from tonight. So we highly um, recommend that you come and, and become a member of the Connect community. I saw someone in the chat space earlier saying, you know, please come and visit us and share some of these ideas because we've had some terrific ideas uh, presented by people who are not on our presentation panel tonight. Um, and it would be terrific to continue the conversation among you um, in PBS Teachers Connect. So please visit us there. It's, a, it's very easily accessed from the main PBS teacher site. Of course, we also encourage you to join Steve Hargadon's online community, which is Classroom 2.0 and is a social network for um, practical applications of Web 2.0 and collaborative technologies in learning. Obviously, a lot of the ideas that were shared tonight um, you know, would be ripe for further conversation on Classroom 2.0 as well. Um, and we want to thank Illuminate very much for being the host of this event. Uh, we definitely appreciate all the support that they give us. 
Um, and you know, I whipped through that, so now it looks like we have five minutes or maybe four minutes for Q&A, and then Steve will pull up a survey. We would really appreciate if before you leave tonight you would take time to fill out this quick survey because we're always looking for um, feedback on, on how people enjoy the event and what we can do to improve these events in the future. So thanks very much for being here, um, and please, if you have questions, um, put them in the chat space now. You, you couldn't ask for a better collection of Shakespeare experts to um, toss ideas to. So um, I hope that you will um, will put some questions in the chat space right now. And if you um, want to use your mic to ask a question, um, then let us know that in the chat space as well. Thanks. Jenny, do you want to start with a couple of the questions that we uh, gathered as we went along? Sure. Great idea. So one that got kind of answered at the time, but um, was the was a question as to how the uh, hyperlink text was created. Some of the answers we heard in the chat were you potentially use Google Docs or wikis. Um, was there a specific program that was used for that um, hyperlink chat or hyperlink text? Mike, I think that's a question for you. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question, Steve? Hi, Mike. So the question Hi, Mike. was, so the question uh, did was, you use a specific uh, program to create that hyperlink document? Right, okay, I thought that's what it was. Uh, basically, I used Microsoft Word, uh, and then I just posted it up onto uh, a website. Uh, um, I have a, my own personal website, but, but uh, you don't even need to do that. If the students can just sort of send that in to you as a Word document, and, and the links will already be built in there. Uh, so it's pretty simple to use. Okay, so here we have okay, a question, so we have from, a question. Um, from someone asking whether there are resources specifically for teaching Shakespeare to English language learners. I don't know who wants to field that, but I think it's a great question. Jenny, we're actually, uh, I'm having a little trouble. I don't see my, I'm coming up, but if you can hear me, we're actually doing a workshop tomorrow with uh, a professor from Pace University in New York to help us out uh, to give us some pointers on how to do this more effectively. Great. That sounds terrific. Um, so I see a couple other questions. One question was whether I could review how to save um, the handouts or the um, slides. So um, all you have to do is on the top menu bar where you see all those icons, all the way to the left there's a save icon. If you click on that, it'll give you an option of saving the chat conversation and or the whiteboard and you can click on the one you want and then it'll pull up a save window and let you choose the format that you want to save um, in. You can save it as a PDF or a couple of different file types. So that's the easy way to save it. Um, there was also a question about archiving. This entire um, recording of tonight's event will be archived um, in three places actually. Um, well, actually two places. So uh, one place is on the PBS Teachers site and the other is on Classroom 2.0. And I believe it will also be um, archived on the Folger Library site. Um, and we'll, we'll post four different types of files. So 
one will be a recording of the whole event, so you'll see it as though you were here in the Illuminate participating. The second will be a um, transcript of the chat. The third will be an audio-only recording, and the fourth will be a video, a portable video recording that you could download to a handheld device. So you'll have lots of options for revisiting this webinar after tonight, and hope that you will do so and share it with uh, friends and colleagues who couldn't be here. Any other questions before we wrap it up? Okay, I see someone's asked a question. Do you have suggestions for grading these items? I know that's always um, an interesting challenge for folks who haven't done a lot of multimedia projects before. Um, what are your thoughts on how to assess this type of student work? Did you, did you if you want to do a, a traditional grading, you could just have the students write a reaction, a response after the fact, uh, and, and get an essay. And, and we as teachers sort of are very comfortable dealing with, with uh, written work like that. Uh, but I think there's other, uh, other uh, rubrics that you could create uh, to see if the students are doing uh, the kind of things that you'd want them to do. And if I can jump in here too, I think it's also important to remember what it is that we're specifically targeting. For me, it's never the technology, it's are the kids doing a close reading of Shakespeare's text. And that's what I am looking at in any kind of performance piece, whether it's through a live performance or if it's through some kind of technology like a podcast. Um, are they looking at the text closely and understanding and analyzing it closely? And the technology is just a tool to get there. Yeah, um, can I just chime in? Uh, what I also like to do is look at what you expected from the final product, what a good final product would be, and sort of work backwards from there. And that can give some, you know, you kind of value the idea of the audience and uh, the sort of integration of the technical and the literary uh, principles you're trying to get at. Uh, I double dare anyone, uh, if you email me, I have rubrics uh, I will, on these things. I will uh, send them to you. It's uh, cshamburg at njcu.edu. Um, and I'll send you a couple of rubrics if you want them. Another interesting thing you can do if you have this kind of class is to uh, is to have the students help create the rubric. In other words, discuss what the elements of a good trailer would be, say, for example, for one of my activities, and then sort of discuss what what on a scale of one to five, what a five would be, a three would be, a one would be, and when they have created the rubric, they have even more ownership of the activity. Great. Um, I see that three folks have their hands raised. Um, the first one is Bran. Did you want to use your microphone, or did you want to um, put a question in the chat space? If you could use chat to let me know um, how you'd like me to uh, call on you, that would be great. Oh, that hand went down. Okay, so two other hands are up, Carol Johnson and Sherlyn. Um, let me know if you have actual questions, and if so, how you would like to um, pose them to our our guests. Since we're already over time, I would recommend that you post them in the chat space. 
Hi, Jenny, and this is Steve. The, uh, I'm putting up the survey link, but one of the moderators must be closing that window to see something on the screen. So just need the moderators to know, please don't close that survey window because that closes it for everybody. So you can move that window aside by dragging it, but let's go ahead and leave it up. Great, thanks. Um, okay, so I see Sherlyn wants to ask a question using the mic. So I've given you mic privileges now. You should be able to click on the bottom um, microphone icon and ask your question. Microphone icon and ask your question. Thank you. I just had a question about the activity packs that you mentioned, and I'm wondering if if there's any way to embed those in a um, PowerPoint presentation or some other presentation. Um, there are actually little uh, pieces of code that are designed to be embedded on a website, so you could absolutely grab them and embed them on your site. If you're just looking for images of them, I would recommend doing a screen capture or um, or saving the screen from tonight's event and just um, plugging that into a PowerPoint presentation. Carol Johnson, did you have a question? And if so, um, how did you want to address it to our, our presenters? Well, the hand went away, so I guess I'll take that as a no. Um, and it is 9.36, um, I, so I want to thank everyone for being here and sticking around for um, over an hour and a half. We really appreciate it. Mo and more than anything, I want to thank all of our presenters who did a fabulous job and shared some really terrific teaching tools. Um, I used to be a high school English teacher and um, taught Shakespeare for years and um, had no idea about many, many of these strategies and would actually love to get back into the classroom and use some of them now. So I hope other folks who are here tonight are equally inspired um, and that they will follow up with you um, you know, to, through the blog, through PBS Teachers Connect, um, and through the emails that you've shared tonight to uh, learn more about these ideas. And of course, we hope that everyone will tune in and watch great performances, King Lear, later this month. Please visit your local PBS station to find out when they're airing it. Most of them, I think, are airing it the last week of the month. It's a terrific production um, and, and certainly well worth sharing with students. So thanks, everybody, and have a terrific night. Thank you, everybody. This is Mary Ellen. Good night from Boston. Good night from Washington. Good night from New York. Good night from New York. Good night. Good night from Maplewood, New Jersey. Good night from the East Village, USA. Good night from the other Washington, Washington State. <laughs>